Well, last Tuesday was 9-11, and I managed to get through the whole evening without mentioning it. But I've been reflecting on it a little bit this week, and some of the engines that, and I didn't, and what I was thinking of, the engines that drove, not the literal engines that, that drove into the World Trade Center, but the engines that drove the human beings to act in a way that um, uh, caused the death of so many people and what could, uh, what kind of uh, blindness, what kind of insensitivity, what kind of delusion. I was thinking of the, the Buddha's teaching on the three root causes of, of suffering. Uh, it, greed, grasping in the mind, hatred, ill will, and delusion, just not seeing clearly, not having clear perception of what uh, one is doing and the impact that that might have. Because if we have clear perception and know what the fruits of, if we knew the wider implications of the fruits of our actions, we wouldn't, uh, we couldn't do, we couldn't commit uh, any kind of what the Buddha called unwholesome action. Uh, if we really knew and if we knew with, with great uh, clarity. So it's an example of, of beings, uh, and they can be of all, any kind of, any kind of human being, from any kind of political or religious orientation, can, and all of us for that matter, can all fall under some version of, of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Uh, if we didn't have all of these, we wouldn't be here. So it's, um, it's something to think about. What is it that drives us to act in ways that are unwholesome? What is it that drives us to act in ways that are wholesome or for ours and others' benefit? And that's a little bit of an entree into this Tuesday, which is the, uh, the last, not the last day, but the the two days of uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. Today is part of the Jewish New Year. Actually, it's yesterday and today, I think. And Rosh Hashanah is also described as the Days of Awe. And so I thought we'd talk a little bit about awe, and we'd also talk about some of the meaning of the holiday Rosh Hashanah. Because it is, it is a, it's really the beginning of the Days of Awe, which is a 10-day period, culminating in Yom Kippur, which is called the, some kind, some, many people call it the uh, Day of Atonement. But it starts with the, it starts with the Rosh Hashanah starts with a day where those who have who are righteous, that's how it's often spoke about, those who are righteous, which in Dharma language, those who act in, with wholesomeness, who have purity of action, those people automatically, on that first day of Rosh Hashanah, the, the righteous are entered into the book of life, which means they, to me that means you've, you really are... You, you have entree into the stream of existence. You're living in harmony with life. You're living in harmony with others. You are, you are into the flow of life. 
And Rosh Hashanah also speaks of the intermediate group of people that have a little wholesome and a little unwholesome. I think that includes most of us. And for those in the intermediate group, they have 10 days to get it together. <laughs> 10 days <laughs> ten days to reflect on your um, body, speech, and mind, your actions of body, speech, and mind. Reflect on actions that you've done that are wholesome, uh, that, are un, un, that are unwholesome, and make amends and set your... Um, Set your compass in the right direction and so that you can also be entered into the book of life, into, entered into the stream. And the only part that where this particular cosmology caused me to question a little bit was the, the third group of people, the so-called wicked people, which we would call the people who are unwholesome. They are... Um, they are, I, I wrote it down actually, the wicked, according to, they are blotted out from the book of life forever. Now, I, that one I have a little problem with. <laughs> but I think what they're referring to, and this may sound a lot lighter than the version that uh, I read about the uh, Rosh Hashanah, but if a person acts in ways that are wholesome, unwholesome repeatedly, and the great heinous crimes, the most unwholesome acts are are taking, uh, are killing living beings, killing human beings, and then worst of all is killing a Buddha, at least in the Dharma sense. But those who act in ways that are unwholesome are because we are continuously setting in motion, it, we're planting seeds for our, uh, for our future present moments, or in, at least in Buddhist cosmology, in future lifetimes, but I consider lifetimes metaphorical for what we are actually born into almost immediately when we act in ways that are harmful. But that we, but when one acts harmfully, whether it's literal lifetimes or the metaphor of the lifetimes that we enter into in our mind every moment, if a person acts unwholesomely, they will be reborn in a uh, what are sometimes called uh, hell realms, realms that are um, that are um, continually unpleasant, where there is a continual uh, a continual struggle for for existence, a continual sense of fear and paranoia, a continual sense of, of burning up with the, with the forces of greed or ill will. And we can all recognize those moments in our own lives when we've become completely fixated in a, in a particular realm of our own mind where there just seems to be no escape and no space and just no room to breathe. And so this is something that the fact of enter or the 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 fact that we enter into these states of mind is not by accident it is the result of of uh, the effects of seeds that have been planted many of them and most of them non personally uh, born of ignorance not even knowing what we're doing but nevertheless seeds are planted seeds of of 
uh, mental, cultural, religious habits that have the fruit, uh, beliefs and greed and hatred and ignorance, unknowingly planting these seeds to the extent that we're, we're, we become so disconnected from reality, from the sense of awe and wonder and connection with life, the flow of life, that we literally wander a long time confused in a samsaric loop, and at, at worst, in one of these hell realms, uh, a little less unfortunate, uh, the realms of, at least metaphorically, the realms of the animal mind that's either uh, eating or being, or eat, eating or being eaten, or the realms of the hungry ghosts, again, another metaphor, we start to act like beings with tiny little mouths and huge stomachs. That's, I think we live in a hungry ghost culture. Uh, but the, when our mind frequents a sense of uh, unsatisfactoriness, a sense of dissatisfaction, a sense of hunger, a sense of greed, we're literally feeding, literally feeding being born moment to moment in an unwholesome state of mind, in a really unpleasant place. So these days of awe, in my view, are days that we really look at and reflect on. What are you doing with your mind? What are you doing with your body? What are you doing, uh, what are you doing moment to moment, day to day? Are you living uh, in harmony with the flow of life? Are you kind of in the groove? Are you acting in ways that are kind, uh, merciful, generous, compassionate, uh, patient? Are you, uh, are you cultivating uh, vital energy uh, on behalf of or for the benefit of others? Are you caught up in a loop of constant preoccupation with me and mine and I? What it, what, it is, what is it that you're doing? Because these seeds, whatever you're planting, will produce your life. It's not an accident. But to me, this, these days of awe give us, remind us, just as the Buddha does, that we are, we are trainable and that our mind is an open field of creative possibility. That intermediate group, if you're not just spinning in hell and you can't even hear, they talked about the realm in the Buddhist teaching of the realm of the barbarians where, where there are so many realms where people can't even hear wisdom teachings, would not have any or, or of some kind of lack of a certain measure of intelligence where it just couldn't hear anything. So you literally just wander around in ignorance. But clearly we live in a in a, the plane of existence called the human plane. It has pleasure, pain, and has gain and loss, praise and blame, uh, fame and shame. It has all these dualities, and so it's, it keeps us, keeps us honest. You can't get too, you can't get too um, enraptured in this plane, nor is it so bad that, you've, that, you, um, that you're always miserable. So it's a perfect opportunity to plant seeds. You can, and you, there's enough intelligence, enough mindfulness to hear teachings, put them to practice. And that's the encouragement of Rosh Hashanah, to do the right thing.
Now, how do we know how to do the right thing? Well, in the, in the Buddha's teaching, it all starts with wise understanding and then wise intention. So if you don't have wise understanding, you tend to s- start in motion things that, that may not take you where you want to go. May not, and everybody here, what's universally true is everybody wants to be happy. I always think of, what is it that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die? For some reason, that song was going through my mind. It goes something like, everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to know the reason without ever asking why. Everybody wants to go first class, but nobody wants to pay. Everybody wants to live for tomorrow, nobody wants to live for today. Anyway, I had to share that. (laughs) But everybody wants to be happy. But our notions of what actually leads to happiness are completely confused. Because of a, uh, because of the measure of greed, hatred, and ignorance in our mind. And so the wise understanding tells us that we have to dispel ignorance before we can uh, really see what, how to set our ship in the right direction. And at least the Buddha gave us a template, gave us a, a, base, a simple teaching, something that is verifiable, accessible, moment to moment, something you don't have to adopt as a belief, but you can see for yourself. And that is the basic teaching of the Four Noble Truths, that uh, there is, no matter if you're whoever you are, there is unsatisfactoriness that is an inherent part of life. It's just, it's not possible to be born and not have some degree of dissatisfaction because things are changing. Everybody who's born gets sick, gets old, dies, Everybody at some point in their life will not get what they want. Everybody who is born will not always want what they get. Everybody will be ultimately separated from that which they hold near and dear. Uh, Little things and big things, people, and everything is marked by change. And so, therefore, it cannot be said to be ultimately satisfying, satisfactory, because there is in the fact of change, uh, just the necessity of experiencing all the stresses that go along with sickness, old age, death, loss, um, etc., etc. It's a good thing to know. And his idea was that everybody should welcome this rather than pretend that I'm, you're the only one and then spend your whole life thinking that you've got a problem and and everybody else is great, but you're the only one who's, who's got frustrated desire and wounded pride. You're the only one who's, whose body isn't working right. You're the only one who has a mind that has uh, unwanted thoughts and unbidden uh, experiences and moods. Just get used to the fact that everyone's life has some measure of unsatisfactoriness. Definition of birth. Leading cause of unsatisfactoriness. And what... The second thing he said is what turns that unsatisfactoriness that is inherent in life into suffering. So suffering's not inherent in life. Unsatisfactoriness is inherent. But what turns that unsatisfactoriness into, into mental suffering is the tendency to want this life to be different than the way it is in all the various ways. That, that the wanting mind, the craving in the mind 
that hardens into, or this wanting that hardens into this deeply conditioned demand that things be different than the way they are, that keeps us in a state of perpetual, uh, perpetual waiting and hoping for a future that never comes, uh, perpetually hostage to what happens next, perpetually, uh, perpetually increasing the sense of being uh, in disharmony with how things are, perpetual increasing sense of, of not being able to find um, relief because uh, this state of dis-ease that comes from a mind that's in a state of, of, of demand and wanting things to be different. And fortunately, the Buddha didn't stop there. He said that there is a, and, and he elaborated on how that state of craving spawns amazing worlds of, um, and when I say craving, that doesn't mean desire. Desire has many flavors. Some are very wholesome that lead us to love, to happiness, to connection, to, to understanding. But craving is a kind of um, clinging and attachment. It's a, state of, it's a state of suffering itself. It's a state of suspended happiness. It's a state of postponement. It's a state of, of, that spawns views, constant views of why I can't be happy now. That's what the Buddha was saying. You're missing this amazing awe, this potential for awe in every moment because you're so busy making other plans. And fortunately, he didn't stop with this this, uh, disease that turns us into hungry ghosts, that turns us into barbarians, that turns us into to the burning of desire and ill will, that turns us into turns our life into hell realms. Says, fortunately, even though this is the cause of so much mental suffering, uh, there's an end to it. There's an end to it, and it's possible in this very life, in this very moment, literally, to experience, to know for oneself a cessation, uh, a releasing of that um, of that unhappiness. It's possible right here. You don't have to wait for it. And, and that end of suffering is, is understood as that place beyond suffering is un, is, can be recognized as the, the very nature of your heart, the deepest nature of your heart and mind, even as you hear these words, that the, the eye behind the eye and the ear behind the ear and the, the nose behind the nose, the mind behind the mind, that the very nature of our mind is deathless, is free is unstuck and unbound from all of that, uh, all that torments us. And that this, is, this natural freedom is something we're continually overlooking. This love is what we're overlooking while we're, while we're busy seeking longingly, innocently, while we're seeking happiness elsewhere. So there is an end to that seeking, and it is... Um, it is to be realized. That's the prescription.
to be uncovered. Please. Oh, yes. Well, I, my sense is that when people have, when people are not operating from the state of craving, craving to to relieve their suffering, when they've really opened to it, then the opening of our heart and mind produces the kind of intelligence and responsiveness that then allows people's creativity to express itself in in being a having some kind of scientific epiphany or some kind of cure for for whatever. But often the, the craving in our mind, the clinging in our mind, blocks our path to really seeing what's needed. And so it's, it's the suffering may be a springboard to, to look, a springboard to actually ask deep questions. But if we're caught in that loop, it's really hard to come up with a solution. And the solution, at least for dealing with the suffering aspect of our minds, is has to be resolved by clarifying our own understanding. Has to be resolved inwardly. In terms of disease, we can. There are many things that can. There that doesn't require liberation of the heart to to solve the different issues of the world. Uh, but of course, if, there, if one's heart is liberated, one's heart is free, then one cannot help in whatever form that takes, can't help but be of benefit. It just happens. And suffering does not have to be the only way that brings about change in our life. It can come out of love. It can come out of wisdom. It can come out of compassion can come out of so many things. But we tend to, and it's a very, I think it's, I commonly hear this among uh, creative types, that they have to be miserable before they can. But then I've met a lot of people, a lot of artists and writers who over the years have done a lot of practice, and they realize that their writing when they were big sufferers was what they, what many have called to me crap. That it was just indulgence of their, of their, um, their internal drama. And I'm sure great stuff came out, and that's probably somebody do, saying that tongue-in-cheek. But I've heard it more than once, that their real, the real beautiful work has come when their heart was free. So, who knows? So let me just go on to the next one, and then I'll, I'll um, finish up, since we don't have a lot of time. So there's an end to, to suffering. There's an end to to uh, this intense uh, grasping, this intense reinforcement of dissatisfaction that tends to drive our, our, so many of our actions. There's an end to that. And there is a way that each person can uh, come to the end of this state of dissatisfaction, this endless state of craving, and that's by generating, developing, inclining one's mind to the opposite of what the craving mind is. 
And that's fo- so wise understanding is followed by wise understanding that, that, that if you hold so tight, if you, if you hold yourself, if you hold your life hostage to, um, to getting, to having, to becoming, to, to what's next, you deprive yourself of a, a sense of freedom. So whatever it is that you can do and intend to do, that will release that craving to incline instead, as the Buddha suggested, to non-greed. So, non, so practicing generosity, that's why it's very central to the Buddha's teaching, is, is not letting a single meal pass without sharing it. Incline toward non-greed, non-hatred, which means love, generate love. Do everything with a mind that, that's kind and caring. From the moment you wake up in the morning, that's what you should be intending to be cultivating loving kindness. And then non-ignorance or non-delusion. Do everything to cultivate wisdom. Everything to increase your opportunity for clear perception. And how do you do that? You apply the very awareness through which you are perceiving right now to carefully notice moment to moment what's happening. And moment by moment, with attention, we are literally, in every moment of care and attention, we are erasing a moment of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Moment by moment. If you're practicing love, if you're practicing generosity, if you're practicing mindfulness, you are literally erasing greed, hatred, and ignorance. Moment by moment. Because love, generosity, mindfulness cannot coexist with greed, hatred, and ignorance. They are different moments. So it's not an accident that our mind dwells in greed, hatred, and ignorance. That's what we've practiced. And when we practice taking care, at least starting with these 10 days of awe, see what happens. Get it, get it right. Practice. My, I know this for many, this is just part of a 100-day retreat. But this is a 10-day period that you can Really test out what will happen if I spend the next 10 days all day long doing stealth metta, loving everybody up, even if they don't know it. I love you, I love you, I love you. May you be happy, may you be happy. Doing acts of kindness every day, one or another. Just smiling at somebody, looking into their eyes, saying, I'm in here, are you in there? And, And really making a connection. Connect, connect, connect. It's a little rare in the city, unfortunately. Practice, uh, practice uh, mindfulness every day. When you walk, when you even when you leave here tonight, notice that you're walking. When you open the door, notice you're opening the door. When you drive, notice that you're driving. See what happens if you have a continuity of mindfulness. And you do it in the most gentle, relaxing way. You don't do it as a duty because it's good for you. You do it because you really want to enter into the book of life. You don't want to be, you don't want to incline toward the wicked. (laughs) You want to incline toward the wholesome, to the righteous. But you have to know where you're going. And where we're going is toward non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion.
Because as Yoga Berra says, you've got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. (laughs) Or if you don't know where you're going, you will wind up somewhere else. That's really true. (laughs) Or as another one he said, if if, if you've... If you come to a fork in the road, take it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So just one last line from the Buddha. He said, whatever one frequently thinks about, dwells upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. So I think a way of ending tonight, which is something we share quite often here, is is, uh, reading the Metta Sutra, the Sutra on the Cultivation of Loving-Kindness, because he's basically telling you in this Sutra how to live your life, what to do. And uh, even though it's ostensibly about Metta, it's really about a life of righteousness, a life of, of cultivating the wholesome and abandoning the unwholesome, maintaining the wholesome and preventing becoming mentally strong enough to prevent the unwholesome. The unwholesome, in most cases, just means getting caught up in the loop of the hindrances, the hindrances of endless aversion and ill will and complaining and blaming, demanding, and the endless endless, uh, hindrance of, of insatiable desire, the endless hindrance of restlessness and worry and agitation, the dullness and exa- the dullness of mind that comes from getting caught in both of those other loops, and then the um, the torment of doubt, which just plagues most of us, uh, because we've lost sight of uh, we've lost that clear perception of our way home, which is none other than to stay where you are, and not lift out of this moment to find the peace and freedom that you so desperately long for. I think as uh, uh, Saint Ramakrishna put it, O longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own pure nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Don't confine your innate infinity in the mansions of name and form, of finitude. Your naked awareness alone, O mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. It's just another reminder. We don't need to go anywhere except to turn the other way, see your own true face. But here's the Metta Sutta, the Buddha's means. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, 
the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from, drow- free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So let's just sit quietly a moment. You don't have to change postures. May all beings cultivate the wholesome and abandon the unwholesome. May all beings feel safe, protected, healthy, strong. May all beings have ease in their hearts and a sense of well-being. May all beings realize a state of awe wonder. And that not lift out of this moment to find it. May all beings be free. A few announcements. We have special announcements tonight. The first special announcement is that we're looking for volunteers to help set up and break down the church one Tuesday per month. Volunteers see Tara right in front here. Please see Tara if you're willing to come and help. Or Anne. Thank you. And we are instituting a very new, wonderful program, a wonderful program for practicing dana or generosity. And this is called Dana for an Evening of Mission Dharma. Dana for an Evening of Mission Dharma. So the church rental here every week is $150. And 
We want to create the opportunity for anyone who would like some great merit, great good fortune, to offer an evening's rental. There are some forms in the back that can be filled out uh, and placed in the Donna basket with a $150 check, that is, made out to St. John the Evangelist Church with Mission Dharma written on the memo line, and the standard, the dedication will read, this evening of Mission Dharma, and this will be posted as well, and it can be either posted anonymously, or you can choose a date that celebrates a birthday, honors someone who has died, or commemorates another life event, uh, if you wish to add a special dedication, you can write, there's a little place on the application to put a note that you'd like included, and this will be posted. Uh, and it will be, it will say, this evening of Mission Dharma is offered by so-and-so, unless it's, of course, it's anonymous. And uh, it asks for your name and indicates specific date that you would like your offering to be made and and provide your email address so that they can confirm the date of your offering. So that would be a, if, if you are so inclined, it's a wonderful thing. At Spirit Rock, there is what's called a meal donna. And most days, usually once the retreat gets going, I think I mentioned this here, once the retreat gets going, there, there are behind little lucite frames, it's a little sheet of paper, who offered the, the meal in fact, one day on the most recent retreat, the same person offered all three meals for the whole retreat that day. And it was, it's such a beautiful thing. And I know it's great joy for the receivers, great joy to the giver. So if you're so inclined. Otherwise, we have our normal Mission, Donna, Mission Dharma Donna basket that's both for room rental Donna, whatever you can offer for the support the room rental, or teacher Donna uh, makes it possible for me to keep doing this. And who, or whoever takes this seat. And it's really the practice of generosity, cultivating that wholesome state of mind, that onward-leading state of mind, that, that's opposite of the greed, hatred, and ignorance. So please um, feel free to practice generosity with the Donna basket or the, the Donna for an evening at Spirit Rock. And thank you in advance. And Oh, oh an, an evening of Mission Dharma, sorry. Anyway, thank you. And thanks for your practice, and I hope to see you next Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.